says, now is the judgment of this world. And I realize I'm lifting this right out of its context. Now is the judgment of this world, and the word used is cosmos. Now the ruler of this world, cosmos, is cast down or will be cast out. The judgment of the cosmos has come, and the ruler of the cosmos will be cast out. Who is the ruler of the cosmos? Well, if this cosmos has become known as the secular, alienated from God, opposed to God, worldly order, there is an order to it. And in fact, it's almost chaos. But there is an organized chaos that is against God and everything that he stands for and has created. And it's ruled over by the evil one. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, According to the course of this world, the cosmos, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There is a ruler in the cosmos. There is a prince of the power of the air that uh, maybe it would help you to see the globe and then go just slightly above it and draw a circle around. We know we have an atmosphere. And the ruler inside the atmosphere, the Bible says, is the evil one. The plan has been good, given over to him at the sin of mankind back in Genesis. He became really the authoritative ruler over the, over the structures of the earth. We lost it as mankind. Jesus bought it back. He bought us back. And now we're to rule and bring the kingdom of God to bear inside of the cosmos. We're supposed to be those who are the light of the cosmos. When you think of all the Christians on the planet, if, if we could, and God wants this, I think, more than anything, because we hear Jesus praying in John 17, Lord, make them one as we are one. And the church is fragmented, isn't it? And this is a sad thing, but we kind of, mm, yes, it is. And it, it's, it hurts our hearts, but think how much it hurts the heart of God. When the very prayer of Jesus was, Father, I'm coming back to take the glory you gave me and that I had with you in the beginning. And uh, the glory that you gave me on the earth, I give to the church. I give to my body. I leave it with them. And as I have been the light of the world, they will now become the light of the world. So you and I, as the body of Christ, all over the globe, are inside this place where the rulership is darkness. Where Paul said, when we wrestle, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Ruling in that atmospheric realm, there are princes and powers of the air. They're they're lit on fire from hell and they are demonic. And you and I are supposed to be a light inside of that moment as the body of Christ, as the church. Everywhere we go. Imagine with me, and it will happen one day. Imagine that tomorrow, all the Christians were gone. What kind of order would there be on the planet? I mean, to tell you, it would be chaos. Every man for himself. I like this little illustration. It works for me about salt and light. You know, police cars are black and white, so we see them kind of like salt and pepper. And... uh and if, if the whole freeway is just moving along, it doesn't have to be a freeway, that just happens to be what I picture. It's moving along at about 80 or 75 or whatever. And the on-ramp, you see the black and white come up? Salt and light is entering the freeway. Salt and pepper. <laughs> what happens? What is the effect? 
of this one little guy who might not even be paying attention to how fast this is moving. Maybe he's thinking about his lunch hours just ending or something. He's not focused yet. He's just entering the freeway. But the whole freeway responds to the presence of salt and light. And if you didn't see it happen, maybe you were slightly ahead or slightly behind in the pack. You're wondering, why is everybody slowing down? I mean, this thing's moving. i got to be where I'm going. It's slowing down. You're looking around, then you see, oh, yeah. And it only slows down for a little while until it sorts out and he hits the next off-ramp, right? And then it takes off again. So you take all the Christians out of the world in this principality and power-ruled darkness, chaos, secular, opposed, alienated to God situation, and it's going to be every man for himself. There's no restraint. You and I are the salt of the world. We are the light of the world. The salt, as we know, is a simple illustration, is a preserving factor. But light is supposed to do something. It's supposed to expose darkness. Light is supposed to be seen in the midst of darkness. Right? When you go into the dark room and you flip the switch, you're hoping for something to be exposed so that you can operate inside that room. The body of Christ, number one, is the first face that Jesus talks about of light. You together are the light of the world. You know, without the light of the body of Christ being manifest in the world, there is no other hope. You've got to think about that a little bit. Without the church, that means you and I and all those who have confessed Christ, we're not perfect. We know that. We wish we were better, don't we? All of us. We're, we're working on it. And, and we want more and more of the life of Christ to flow through us and manifest himself through us. We want that. But without us, without the presence of Jesus in the earth, there is no hope. Say it with me. Hopeless. The second side of the square, if you will, Jesus addresses, and it's amazing how much Jesus could say in a couple of sentences. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. I see the city representation of the body of Christ being a community of believers in any given uh, municipality or city area. For us, let's just talk about Big Bear. The church from one end of this community to the other is the city of God. This is something that's become more and more popular around the, even here in this, I think of yeah, up in Portland, they have a, there's a church called the City Church. Anybody ever heard of a city church? See, this revelation has come that there's only one church. And so some have said, well, let's just become the city church. And even though there are different representations and different denominations of the body of Christ around a city, there are those groups of pastors, and you remember Ted Rose? was just recently here. He talks about something like 180 pastors, I think it is, in Sacramento um, that gather regularly and believe about themselves to be the city church over Sacramento. They're, they're starting to learn how to lay down the things that differentiate them and step over the, the previous boundaries and barriers of denominational structures or styles and practices and just say, listen, we are the city church. And if, our, if we don't gather together, we don't bind together, we don't work together, then our city will be ruled by darkness. 
And they just, some of you may have participated. We did here in the prayer meeting two weeks ago with the call Sacramento. And they're set up on the Capitol steps in the, in the state Capitol was the platform. And kids praying for 12 hours, fasting and praying on the Capitol steps, singing worship to Jesus and declaring and being light in public. Hide it under a bushel? No. Let Satan blow it out? No. It has to be on display. And when Jesus said, a city that's set on a hill cannot, I put parentheses right there. I draw the first one. A city on a hill cannot, should not, will not, parentheses, be hidden. The local church is supposed to be on display. Now, see, we can't, we don't go around with pictures of buildings to say this is the church in Big Bear. It's you and I. It's you and I when we go to work. It's you and I when we are walking through our neighborhoods. It's you and I when we interact with our neighbors. It's you and I when we are in our homes and we're shopping and we're about and we're driving through Starbucks or whatever it is we're doing. We are the church wherever we go. We are the church. And our lives are on display, which has been one of the great indictments against the body of Christ over the years, hasn't it? So, oh, man, well, that's a Christian, <laughs> right? And what we're trying to do is get it turned around to where somebody goes, well, that's a Christian. And I need that. I need what they're doing. I see what's going on in that. And they're blessed. And this whole thing's down and I'm, and they're up. What's that? Uh, everybody else is sorrow filled and, and they are blessed and joyful. And I need some of that. So we're trying to get it turned around. But it does relate to every individual, but we're not independent of one another. Think of it. You would expect this of me. If I were called on to go to a city council meeting or as John Day represents us at the community service district, wouldn't you expect me or him in that scenario to, to be above board, filled with integrity and character, to represent Jesus first in that situation? If they called to the city council where we used to pray before every city council meeting, we had a rotation of pastors in this community, the city church, if you will, that used to go in the onset of every city council meeting at Big Bear Lake, and we would open an invocation in prayer. And then, you know, people got crazy in lawsuits and the enemy and the evil one and, the, you know, everything started happening and it all stopped. But if you knew I, it was my turn to go, would you expect me to look kind of like this to go there? Or would I go in my sandals and my cutoffs and my hair kind of worse than it is? <laughs> what would you expect? You would expect a, a, a higher level of integrity and character to show up in that meeting. You would expect me to come there and pray honestly and openly in the name of Jesus. Do you know what? I expect the same of you. Jesus expects the same of every believer. That when you're out living your life, doing your job, that you also are calling on him for help and that you are living a life that is exemplary and that represents me as I represent you. Am I making sense? We represent each other. We don't live separate. We don't live by ourselves or for ourselves. And the demonstration of my life needs to couple beautifully with yours for a testimony of light in our community. And Jesus said, a city that's set on a hill cannot, will not be, should not be hidden. Ephesians chapter uh, 3 comes to mind 
where in verse 8, Paul says, To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul says that this mystery has been revealed, and the intent is this, that, to, that the church as we are beautifully collected together, and each one is understanding that we represent Christ and one another wherever we go. It's like we all have a team uniform, and everybody says, that's a Christian, that's a Christian, that's a Christian, that's a Christian, that's a Christian. Let's watch how they live. And, and God says, oh, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to lift the church up. A city set on a hill won't be hidden. It's going to glow, and it's going to resonate, and it's going to glorify me. It's going to honor me as it's visible and the, manifest, the manifold wisdom of God, verse 10, will be made known by the church to principalities and powers. See, we begin to take an effect not only above a city, above a city, if you will, but as we are represented as, as light to those who are around us, if you will, below us in this illustration, we're also taking an effect on principalities and powers that are ruling in the heavenlies. And we're beginning to say, kingdom of God, rule here. Kingdom of God, rule here. Kingdom of God, come. Let his will be done right here where we're living. And we bear influence as light into our community. That's the facet number, the face number two, is that we are a city that must live on display above the community in which we live. Now, do you feel any pressure about that? Do you feel any pressure? You know... And this isn't a performance religion we're in. There isn't a list of do's and don'ts. But there is this love affair with Jesus that we must take on that says, I understand that I love you, and if I love you, remember what, what did the apostle say? How do you say you love God when you don't love the ones you can see? You can't see him and you say you love him. You've got to love the ones you can see to illustrate and demonstrate that you really love God. So when we love Jesus, we begin to love others. Well, if I love others, then I don't want to misrepresent you, nor you misrepresent me, or live in such a way that would put a mark against Christ. Am I, am I safe around here? Okay. So that's number two. Philippians chapter two, while we're here in Ephesians, we're not far away. Oh, by the way, I, I tend to, you know, get lost a little bit here. But after Paul said the intent was this for this to happen, he says in, four, in verse 14 of chapter 3, Ephesians says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he prayed this prayer for the believers so that the, the full intent of God's plan would come to pass. He said, I pray that he'll grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's what we need in order to do this is his spirit living in us. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all, all the saints 
What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If we're going to become a house of prayer, then maybe we should inscribe this underneath all those names on that wall. And as we pray, we say it, we pray it that way. Lord, grant them grace. Grant us grace. Grant us the presence of Jesus. Grant us the life of God. Grant us the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We'll never pull this off on our own, will we? Can I confess before you this morning how easy it is to lose ground? Come on, guys. How many of you ever experienced slightly, just maybe a, a little bit, a little road rage? <laughs> the ladies are raising their hands. <laughs> Let me give you the picture. Confess and be healed. Driving past the Stangles area on, on North Shore there through Peter, Michael, Myrtle, all those streets coming down the highway. Now, since they changed the speed limit from whatever it was to 40, this is my practice. Maybe you could use it. When I get on that, on that road, I set my cruise control at 40, and then I just leave it alone. And uh, that way I don't ever go over the speed limit. So we're coming from uh, west to east, Peggy and I. She had to endure this ride. <laughs> she is my second Holy Spirit. She helped me grow. Got the cruise control on. And this guy comes, you know, running up pretty quick. And I'm seeing that in the mirror. And I think, well, you know, I'm not going to go any faster. And this guy hits the gas and pulls out and starts passing me on the double yellow line through. You know, those intersections aren't very far apart. So he makes it like through two or three intersections on the other side of the double yellow line. And I light on fire. I hit the gas and I'm running up. and. <laughs> I said, he wants help, I'll give him help. I'm going to push him right along. Let's see how, where, how fast he wants to go. You know, she says, don't do this with me in the car. I said, oh, I'm not mad. <laughs> little sign pops out, liar. <laughs> I wasn't really mad, I was just upset. And the thing that was going through my mind is, as quickly as, as we were driving through there was that this guy is a bona fide idiot. <laughs> I mean, the ones we talk about, this guy qualifies. I'm thinking of BJ rolling through the neighborhood in his wheelchair. I'm thinking about the kids that play in this area that get, mount the bus right there every day and come up, and they're, they're there, and they play. And this guy has no regard. He's not thinking. So I follow him. He lives in my neighborhood. I follow him to his driveway. He pulls in parks. I park across his driveway, and I wait. I think, what am I going to do? <laughs> I have no idea who's about to get out of this car. And he gets out and he turns to the car and the windows are down and we're sitting in his driveway and he goes, what? Big deal. So I passed you. Well, the, the conversation begins and he gets closer to the car and inside I am choking with anger. I mean, I am. And I'm, I'm feeling like I used to get angry when I was in the ninth grade before I was saved. And I'm choking with it. It's it's in my throat, and I can feel it. I thought, I'm going to get out of the car. I'm going to pulverize this guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it's, that's not how this works. Uh, you know, you've got to get a hold of it here. And, and this is crazy because P 
Peggy's in this seat, and we're doing this over her lap <laughs> through the window. And so in the midst of this, as I feel it just grabbing me, I'm thinking, you can't do this. Jeff, you don't do this stuff. You're, you're a believer, man. What happened? I stick, my, <laughs> I stick my hand out toward the window, and I say, and my name's Jeff, <laughs> and I'm your neighbor, and I'm really sorry to meet you under these conditions. I said, but you're, you're, have you ever thought of murdering someone? Have you ever thought of the life you could have taken? I'm just I have friends that live in I've lived here for a lot of time. I have friends in this neighborhood that could die from your driving. I said, I'm upset. I'm really mad. And he said, I'm sorry. And Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. That guy hit the right button. <laughs> he's, he's, the guy's not a believer. I don't think he's a believer. But he definitely caught the right thing, the Holy Spirit helping him maybe. He said, I'm sorry. I, I really, I apologize. And I thought, oh, good. Um, I'm not going to go home and get saved now. <laughs> and I thought, what kind of light am I being? A flamethrower? I mean, <laughs> I'll, light up. I'll show you the light of mine, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Philippians, <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Shining as lights in the world, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are in a crooked and perverse generation. We were not that long ago a part of it, right? Contributing to it. We were lost in trespasses and sin, and His grace came to us. Our grace, His grace needs to come to others. And the only way that's going to happen is if the city that's set on a hill lives a life that is attractive. And that can only happen if we let Jesus live through us. And that's, as we'll talk about in a minute, individually, but also corporately. We really do have to hold together. We really have to ally with one another, to love one another, serve one another, honor one another. Come in. Oh, I thought it was a doorbell. The third face is when Jesus says, as we were teaching the little ones earlier the song, thanks for your help. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the house. Does the word come to mind for you? It does for me immediately. The word oikos. Household. The oikos. That's the Greek word for a household. And the third face of 
letting uh, of light is that it should be shining inside the households. It should be illuminating family units. And we're not that far off here from having started back to school. I know some of the homeschoolers have just started, and uh, school's been in session for a little bit. And uh, that always causes me to think of families. Families need devotions. Families need to have somebody leading the home toward Christ all the time. And uh, maybe this is new news to some of you, but let's look together at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me emphasize this in this face, this face of light. And whether you have children at home or not, uh, whether you're single at home, whether you're just a couple at home, uh, or whether, if I'll, I'll see some of our young people here this morning, we're just talking to you. If it doesn't happen at your house, it's still something you have to do, something you should do. Uh, and in your home, there must be light. Because the light of homes is what's going to cause light to happen in the body of Christ. <coughs> Right? And so Deuteronomy 6, this is way back, isn't it? And in verse 4, Moses is rehearsing and says what we call the great Shema. We don't call it that. The Israelis call it that. The Jews call it that. The great Shema, the the greatest thing. Hear, O Israel, the the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Whose responsibility is that? Are you hearing that? It's the leader of the home. Responsibility. You shall teach them diligently. Not flaky. Diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you didn't build, houses full of all good things which you didn't fill, hewn out wells which you didn't dig, Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, we know we're not Israelites. We know we're not Jews. We know we didn't come out of Egypt. But we do know the type, right? That Egypt has always been a type of the world. And when we come out of Egypt, it means we're coming out of the world, becoming Christians, we're accepting Christ and putting our faith in him. And it's very much the symbol of coming out of the world, coming out of Egypt. You can say to a Christian, if they've been one very long, so do you want to go back to Egypt? And that, and it's a conversation that's understood. It means, do you want to go back to your old worldly life? And the answer should be no, of course. But I kind of felt like I went there last week or two with that fellow. <laughs> By the way, I've... He introduced himself, and I'm thinking, now I need to go back. I need to go back and have a rational conversation with this guy, and I'll tell you why it needs to be at another time. Because as we were pulling away and finishing that conversation, he said to me, I don't think I could have left my window down any, any longer. That guy reeked. He had been drinking. Oh, man, now I'm so mad again. <laughs> you know, so, oh, you know, I thought reckless and under the influence and the devil's winning and the devil wouldn't care if he went to jail for life for running over five kids in an intersection God, the devil wouldn't care 
I need to care. He needs deliverance. He needs Jesus. He needs the light. He needs salvation. He needs to be free from the bondage of alcoholism. Amen? And I need to take a, a different view of him. He needs to become my neighbor and my friend. And I need to go back and maybe you won't even remember me. <laughs> I'll introduce myself and see. Hi, I'm Jeff. Do you know me? He says, no, I don't think I do. I said, well, that's good. <laughs> let's, let's pick it up right there. Skipping to verse 20, part of the reason for this Deuteronomy 6, and I could read the whole thing, but verse 20 says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And it continues. See, this is the responsibility of the home. Our children don't know. We have to teach them. If we don't, someone else will. Right? And someone else, if your children enroll in the public school system, someone else is teaching your children. And what they're teaching them, they need some adjustment. And, and so you and I become, by the scriptures, responsible in the oikos, in the household, in the family group that we are a part of. And that may include extended family. I know that we're hearing regularly people who have lost their homes, moving back in with their parents, living together. Parents and, and uh, children and grandchildren and grandparents are living together in, in one house. That's beautiful. It's an oikos. It's not a problem. It happens all over the world. Uh, I think one of my Hispanic neighbors just made an addition on his home. And the reason is because the kids have grown up and they're going to start taking on mates, but they're all still going to live together. You might think that's weird, but they don't. It's just how it works. They just kind of live next door or in the back room or, and they just like to live together. But that's an oikos. But inside that oikos, somebody's got to take responsibility. And it says it's the parent, the leader, the father, to make sure the devotions are happening, that understanding of God is being transmitted to our children to the point that when they ask, what is the meaning of these things? Why these commandments? Why these things? That you would be able to say, well, you see, we used to be lost. You grew up in a home where Jesus was king all the time. You, you've never really known that wandering life like I did when I lived in Egypt. And let me tell you, these are saving factors. These are the things that will keep us all the days of our lives. And we've imparted them to you as often as we could as you're growing up so that they're just a part of the fabric of your life. You never have to leave Jesus. You don't have to wander and then come back later. Jesus is our king and our Lord and our master. And, and it has to be a systematic, regular inputting in the family unit of Christ. Christ, the center of the home. And the last facet or face of light is the one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus concluded this small part of his statements in the Beatitudes. Verse 16 said, let your light, now it's singular, your light, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The one-to-one -one living out of being the light of the world contributes to the other three. If I live my individual life as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of truth in the Bible, then it will contribute to my household also becoming a point of light. 
a place of light and the dwelling of Christ, which then my household contributes then to the body of Christ, the city that's going to be set above all the city in where I live. My family will become a contributing factor and agent agency to the whole body of Christ that lives its life out in the community. It would be my hope that my family would never bring shame to Christ or to you as a Christian because we don't live separate. I would pray that you would be filled with the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that wisdom would be poured about on your home so that you would also live in such a way that that you would become complementary to my life. So that wherever I go, somebody says, Why, what do you know about those guys? I says, well, what do you know about them? Well, they seem to live above the rest of the world. Well, they do. And we do that together. We're believers. In fact, we get together once a week in a little cell group called a lighthouse. And we challenge each other. To, we pray for one another. We want to see each other make it. And so we're working the best we can to submit our lives to Christ together as, as a body. Not only that, but we gather with a larger body of Christ. And when the whole city of Christ Christians come together, then we're going to be there. Because we don't live independently. And that then contributes to the light of Jesus Christ to the cosmos. See, it works both ways, doesn't it? We started the cosmos, came to the city, set on a hill that can't be hidden, then into the family. And this last one, Jesus says, you should let your light so shine before men. I think of Paul the Apostle in Acts 26 as he's in front of King Agrippa and Festus. Festus says, we'll hear you. And Paul begins to speak this great oration as he speaks before the king and talks about how Jesus confronted him on the road and how he took him to his knees and caused him to be blind and, and then gave him the commission to go and to be a presenter of the light and truth of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and the Jews. And as he's, as he's uh, we might say, waxing eloquent in his testimony, he's just giving his testimony before the king. And he says to the king, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm telling you things you already know because this thing wasn't done in a corner. And you're very aware of these things. In fact, and then he asks the king, he says, don't you believe the commandments too? Don't you believe the prophets too? And, and he stands up and says, wait a second, wait, you're, you're, uh, Festus stops and says, you're out of your mind with learning. But then just a few verses, King Agrippa is saying, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul says, oh, not only you, but everybody that's listening here today. And the picture I see is one individual giving his testimony in a crowd of people and, and honest, uh, or not, maybe not honest, but uh, those who are honored in their city, not afraid or not ashamed of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe and to everybody that, that can put their trust in Christ. It's, it's what we need. I'm not ashamed of it. And so he gets a moment, he gives his testimony. Could you and I do the same? We could. You might think, oh, not me. Well, you'd be surprised what you could do under pressure with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Uh Don't depend on you. Depend on him. But Paul's testimony in the middle of that oration, he says that God called me from darkness into light. And then he called me to be a light to the Gentiles, even in the same way that Jesus was prophesied that he would be a light to the Gentiles. And so this one individual is a light. It's the fourth facet or the fourth fourth face of light that we're talking about this morning. Romans 13. You want to turn with me there? You may. Romans 13 and verse 8, Paul states, 
Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Gee, where did that come from? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And he continues, and do this, do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. He's speaking to us as individual believers. Put that old stuff off. Put on Christ. Don't just try and put on a new attitude. Don't just try the new leaf syndrome. You know, turn over a new leaf, try harder. Put on Christ. Let Jesus live his life out through you. This is a great conquest we're in. How do I let Jesus live out his life through me? How can I come to that Christ in me, the hope of glory? How can I come to, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me and through me. The Holy Spirit has to fill us. His grace has to be upon us. Put on this grace and then let it live out. Let grace prevail just as you're introducing yourself through the window, Pastor Jeff, right? Stop being the old man and let the new Christ come out. Turn him loose. Set him free. Jesus said, if we would live this way, then men would be drawn to him. Women and children would be drawn to him, right? He would be lifted up and all men would be drawn to him. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus said that you would, uh, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. We're actually supposed to be leading people to Christ, right? Uh, a couple of places where in the Scripture it says one, one sows and one waters. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 3, who's Apollos and who's Peter and who's Paul? Who are these guys? They're all ministers of Christ. And one planted and one watered, but it was God who gave the increase. We're nothing. He's everything. But we do have the responsibility to plant and to water. Jesus said that one, one sowed, one did the work, but I'm giving you the benefit of being the one who reaps. So we are in charge of reaping a harvest alongside of God. And if we're the light of the world, we're the only hope. And if we keep it to ourselves, what are we doing? We're strangleholding those who are unsaved. We are leaving everyone without Christ on their destiny to go to hell. And we're not doing a thing about it. Now that's a grand generalization. And somebody told me this week that generalizations are generally false. Is that how you said that? (laughs) Generalities are generally untrue or something like that. That was a great, I'll, I'll get it one of these days. When you think of 1 Corinthians 14, where it says, How is it then, brothers, when you come together? One has a psalm, one has a hymn, one has a tongue, one has a revelation, one has an extra. Let everything be done to the glory of God. 
the gifts of the Spirit should be operating in cell groups and in the church and the body of Christ wherever we go. And I, I won't put her on the spot, but I will just affirm that this morning Kayla came to me. And you might see Kayla's sister, you know, kind of that meek missionary that runs off all over the world. <laughs> Comes back for the testimony of Jesus. But she said, the Lord showed me something. I want to share it with you. I'm going to tell you it was right on. This vision, this was it a vision, kind of a dream? Just a picture that God gave her that was prophetic and accurate about the body of Christ right here at Christian Center. And I considered making her stand up and rehearse it in front of you. I won't do that. But see, the gifts are in operation. God's bringing his word, confirming things in the spirit. And just ahead of that verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, when you're together and one speaks in tongues and one does this with and an unbeliever comes in among you, it says they'll fall down on their face and say, God is in you of a truth. Why? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's not about you, not about me. It's about bringing glory to the Father. And so when they come in among us and we're just happily operating in the realm in which we live, being light and salt and loving Jesus and letting the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate, letting the Holy Spirit live the life of Christ out through us, and an unbeliever bumps into that situation, let's go, God's in you of truth. They fall down on their face and they glorify him. And that's what it comes to. Second Thessalonians, if you would like. You might want to just kick back, close your eyes and hear this, because this would be, in a more liturgical setting, the benediction. Who's Ben? I'm sorry. Ben who? Ben addiction. So just before I read it, can we... Would you go with me and just help, encourage me, simply rehearse this. Four faces of light. The first one is, we as the collective body of those who believe in Jesus are the entire light available to the world. Take us out and there's nothing but darkness. That should tell you in your theology, in your understanding of God and how things work in the earth, that the only hope for the entire globe and every person on it is the church, the body of Christ. That's all there is for light. Jesus isn't going to come live his life again on the planet and go around preach and talk to people and convince them of who he is. We're going to do that. And if we're taken out or if we're silent, then they have no hope. Hopeless. Two, the second face is that inside of a community, the church is got to live together. We've got to love one another. and We have to live in such a way that my life doesn't put a stain on your testimony. Right? That I'm living... Externally, I'm not living for myself or by myself. I am not an independent Christian. The Bible says you're members of one another. Members in particular, but you're not members independent of one another. You have to be connected. And as we're connected to one another throughout the community, there should be a city that's set on a hill. And that city will demonstrate to principalities and powers and to those who live in the community that Christ is alive and that he's beautiful. Number three, it's going to happen in our homes. And there's a responsibility for every parent and family to have devotions for every single individual, including myself, right? Personally, I need to have my time with the Lord. I have to 
to spend time with him. I need to know him. It doesn't have to be a religious, you know, from 9 to 9, 15, and two or three prayers. It has to be a relationship. I need to be in a relationship with Christ. And I need to lead as a family a leader. I need to lead my family into a faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm excited about working on the next generation now. You know, we poured into ours. Now we get some extras. And it's fun. So when we're together, we want to spend time with our grandkids now and, and speaking into them life. When we're with your children, we want to speak life into them. We want to demonstrate the life of Jesus to them. As a church family, we have all of our young people in kids zone and junior high and, and 68 and, and, you know, IYG on Tuesday nights. All of these need the living style of, of family in Christ to see the model. And it's got to be a real one, not a phony one. It's one thing young people do. They pick out the phonies pretty quick. And it's good. And the fourth one is that one-on-one. I have to live it one-on-one. You and I should be responsible for people going to heaven, not hell. <laughs> right? We should be uh, standing near the gates of the entrance to hell, just grabbing as many as we can. But if I live my life in such a way that I get called in front of others to give my testimony, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I won't fret over what I'm going to say because God says he'll speak with me and through me. And if the life of Christ is living through me, then, then let me get, get the opportunity to do it. And as I do that, then it supports the family, it supports the city community, and it supports the whole Christian life in the cosmos. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And I would just kind of want to dismiss us with this this morning. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I would pray in agreement with Paul here that this grace would be ours, that this supernatural ability to do these things would come upon us by the life of Christ in us, by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to be counted worthy of this calling and we'd be able to fulfill the good pleasure of your will, that we would walk in faith and power and a demonstration of Christ in us. And let that become even the hope of someone else. Lord, give us people to love on. Thank you for introducing me to the speeder. Uh, Lord, if you'll lead me into a relationship with him, then won't that be awesome? Lord, whoever you put us in contact with, help us to remember it is our position, it is our honor, it is our calling to represent you in the earth. And as we do that, we know that we're doing it alongside with others and that we as the body of Christ are going to be lifted up in our community to be seen as the way to live and that we will continue to bear great influence as light, holding back the darkness that exists in this secular cosmos. In Jesus' name, amen.